Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is... Name. <laughs> Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. <laughs> Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. So, I don't have tea. I don't have whiskey. I do have a sour guava ale. Super. So, we went from Tea. Too. I like fruity beers. Yeah, I kind of like fruity too. But if you have well, to I think Carver just—I think Carver just absolutely one up me without doing anything. He just lifted a full glass of whiskey. No, no, no. You—you've got like, I, you know, five millimeters. He's the, got two inches. That's because I drank it. Well, I, I. It's because I'm all the way up on the third floor of the house and getting to the whiskey bars. Three floors below me, and so I got I got to pour it deep to make sure that I don't, I don't have to go back for a refill. Well, welcome to the roundup. That's a that's a a whistle pig fifteen year that I'm sipping there. Incredible, pretty incredible. Good. Well, why don't you go and introduce yourself since you've just introduced yourself that you drink very fancy whiskey uh, to our audience of a million people that listen to this. Well, I, I, I drink really bad whiskey, too, to be honest with you. I just, I just threw that out to try and impress everybody. 
but uh all right um yeah i'm i'm daryl carver and i'm the i'm off the bench today to fill in and and help out these two fine esteemed gentlemen in their quest to educate humanity well so um well, we appreciate you being here, and uh, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Um, Daryl and I have uh, a sordid past in terms of who, how we've met and uh, things that have come beyond that, but uh, Daryl Carver is a retired sergeant major out of the Marine Corps, and uh, he is a big hunter, He's uh, a good friend of mine, best friends with Cody and uh big fans of the blood origins project um cody anything interesting we should know about daryl i yeah i mean you know i got a lot of shit to that i can make fun of him about but he's just uh it's kind of legitimately one of those people that when you're around him makes you want to be a better person um and that annoyed me when i was 19 through 20 223 with him living in the same room with him in the Marine Corps and at 45 he's one of those people that I put myself up against in uh not not in a competition but just in a you know how how would how would this be done right and that a lot of times concludes with how would Daryl do it doesn't mean I always do it that way um but uh He's one of those kind of people that he just does the does the he's one the the word integrity is the word that pops to my mind the most with Daryl Carver. Well, we appreciate your service, Daryl, and uh, I don't think Cody's been you know as flowery. We've only had one guest before you, Daryl, so he wasn't as flowery of the guest before. He really liked the guest before you, but that um, he didn't have the history. How long have you guys known each other? Twenty, twenty-five. 27, 27 now. 27 years, yeah. 27 years. Wow. Yeah. I may be the person sitting on the bench. To, how much did your previous guest guests have to Venmo Cody in order to get on? Um, previous guest Waller. For those, for those kind words, I had, to, I had to give him quite a bit of money for those kind words. Our previous guest was incredibly more established and and attractive and intelligent than you i mean I'm, all of those things are just right off the top but i just didn't know her well enough to really judge her character but seemed like a much better person and a smarter person but i uh those are the kind things i had to say about you so we're at the we're in the roundup which means a bunch of stuff has hit the airwaves this this week um bunch of stuff to talk about uh, I know a bunch of stuff hit today. You saw the whole Vermont issue just came to light, right? right? Frickin' four yep. different bills just hit the hit the floor. Um, and the Connecticut bill actually just passed out of committee and went to the House floor. But those are, uh, dare I say, that's like petty stuff in comparison to the, you've already sworn, you know, just like you typically do. You come out the gate swearing, so. It's okay for me to I say. Did. I thought I was being, what did I say? I thought I was being good. You swore already, so I'll be fine sharing. I'll be fine swearing, saying that there was quite a shitstorm 
uh, this week when it came to the idea of hunter recruitment. So let's late in our show notes is shitstorm. So I think I think we went ahead and adopted that. But yeah, absolutely. Probably I would say um I would say there's probably not a ton of people. I'm in a very high echelon of people that are subscribing to current events in hunting worldwide, right? Like not the most in the world, but I, I that's what the majority of my feed is for the sake of of my work with Blood Origins. Um and by far the most talked about thing um, for the last, what, five, six days in the hunting world was Matt Ranellis, um, the brother of Stephen Ranellis from Meat Eater, who a ton of credit is due to Meat Eater and that crew um, for bringing a uh, intelligent, common sense, wide, widely accepted approach to hunting that I think has done a lot of good. Um, but Stephen's brother, Matt, wrote a what you would call an op-ed right right on mm -hmm. on the mediator website um about his kind of distaste or disdain um for the r3 project which is kind of r3 is kind of the uh i don't know if everyone's calling it r3 but when you say r3 in the hunting world it's recruit retain re reactivate reactivate um it's it's the it's how do we get more people hunting we recruit new ones we retain the ones we have and we reactivate previous hunters who are no longer hunting that's what our three is um and matt ranellis came out uh the article was blatantly and 100 percent against it i mean with a small bit of of kind of hedging his bets on it um it was a ballsy move, if nothing else. If you can't say anything else, it was a ballsy move because they, everyone involved had to know the backlash that was coming. And good gravy did the backlash come. Well, it's interesting you say that they, they, they must have known. They must have known. They must have thought it through. They must have said, we're going to drop this. What's going to happen? They're a bunch of really clever guys over there and girls. They knew it this was, was coming. 100%. It was so blatant that it made me wonder. It made me automatically assume there was a agenda behind dropping it, right? Like, I don't know that for a fact. I'm not saying that. I don't want to assume that. But that's where my brain went. Like, you know, that's like if you're a terrible boxer in the early 90s and you call mike tyson a wuss right that's so blatantly ridiculous that there's an agenda behind it right because you know that, that there's going to be backlash um I, I still don't know what that is but there was definitely backlash carver are you yeah. are you four more hunters in the landscape or are you four less hunters in the landscape um man that's a tough question it's not a tough question. Really had, that's what, that's never, what Matt pretty I've much was saying. A, yeah, I've never had a problem with seeing hunters in, you know, numbers of hunters in the landscape, you know. I've never, I've never like, visibly gotten upset or mad that there was, there was an abundance of hunters out there. And I think a lot of that was just based on the fact that 
I would rather see people out hunting than doing other things. Right. So, so I, I look at, looked at it more of as a, as a grassroots kind of thought process, but I will say after reading the article um, and the counter article that, that you provided me to kind of, to, to kind of go through, I absolutely agree with Cody. It almost felt like there was, there was, there was a purpose behind dropping that article to try and garner a conversation to see how it would flow one way or the other, because I almost felt like they think a lot of people feel like that, that it, the R3 program shouldn't be there and that it should go back to families and you know, friends kind of establishing that next generation of hunter. Um, but it did seem like there was, it just seemed like there was something so blatant about it that, that they were trying to generate a very conversation to see how it would actually pan. You know, it's interesting. If the article had just stuck with the premise that I just posed the question to you on, do you want to see more hunters in the woods or not? I think you would have a, a different it would have elicited a different response. But the fact that they rolled R3 into the conversation is where I think the train went off the tracks. Cody, we've talked about it, and, and let's be honest. I, I have to be indifferent to what Daryl just said. If, if, and, you know, you, if you hike back into a place that you've like done all your work, you've done all your planning, whatnot, you hike back in there, and you see another hunter. I would say there is a measure of disappointment. Yeah, it's, no, it's not like you're happy to see them, right? To me, what this boils down to is what's the right thing, right? Like a hundred percent. I live, I live a hundred and three yards from the San Isabel National Forest. 220,000 acres of public hunting good good stuff not world class but really good stuff um and if i had a if i had the genie with three wishes and i could make my first wish be that it would be legal for me and my descendants to hunt forever but we had the san isabel to ourselves would be my second wish, right? Like selfishly, I get what Renellis is saying, right? Like I want, I want all the turkeys in the over-the-counter units available to me in 10 days when I can start hunting turkeys in Colorado. Selfishly, I get that. But it boils down to what's the right thing and the fact of the matter is that depending on what article you read, we as active hunters make up somewhere between three and six percent of the population, right? Well, that's you get to all... be debated a little bit later. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. It, somewhere, some it's a single-digit number, right? Really, we don't know that based on okay. an article by McKean. Right. I I saw. Okay. We're not so if you a want to go down a conspiracy road, if you really want to go down a conspiracy road, if you really don't know what the number is, and the entire R3 movement has been based on a, a false assumption of data from the Fish and Wildlife Service that is outdated from the records that they use, 
Why is it false though? Is Fish and Wildlife giving us false numbers so they can recruit more people to sell more licenses for more money? No, 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 no. It's, it's, not, it's not entirely false information. It's just inaccurate in that there's a number of different ways states count their licenses differently. For instance, a lifetime license, if you read that article, if, you, if, you, if you've bought a lifetime license, do you get counted every year for that license? Do you get counted for everything that you hunt on that license? It, and versus someone else who doesn't, and they just buy individual licenses. Do you get counted year after year? There's a lot of just nuances on what, what Andrew suggests is that, look, on a state-by-state -state basis, things are so different that no wonder we don't have a clear idea of how many hunters we have because things are so different. How do you... I don't, I, I, I don't disagree with any of that, but I also think, don't think that those nuances negate the fact that there's less hours spent in the woods by less people on a per capita basis than there was 30 years ago. I think that's a fact. I also think a fact is that as that time and numbers decrease, our legislative abilities decrease. Our ability to protect this thing that the three of us and, and hundred millions of other people, you know, literally consider part of our culture, our ability to protect that goes down. Um, and that's why I think that an effort to get people off their phone and computer and out into the woods is the best thing to do even if it means that 100% I bump into more of them, which I don't want, right? I don't want that. I want, to be, I want it to be just me or just me and my friends everywhere in the whole woods, in the whole world, wherever we go. That's what I want selfishly. But it's not the right thing to do if, if, if we're it, – it, that, that's 100% based on selfish – um, and I, I think that approach leads to my grandchildren maybe not being able to hunt. Oh, you were nodding your head in agreement with what Cody just said. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, well, first of all, I don't disagree with you that if you put the time and effort in, the last thing you want to do is when the light comes up to be sitting in a bowl with, you know, as if you were at a football game and everybody's wearing orange. So, you know, I don't disagree with you that, that if you put the work in, that it, there isn't a little bit of disappointment. But what I found is, is every time I've been disappointed when the lights turn on, it's usually at myself because I didn't do enough work to make sure that that didn't happen. Because, you know, you can't just show up into a location or, or expect that nobody else knows about that location and that you're just going to have it to yourself. So, um, you know, I've always been disappointed, but only in myself, not in other people. But as far as, you know, the last little bit of discussion, I, I think the one thing that, that really pops out to me about having more hunters versus less hunters, you know, what is the exact number? You know, I don't know. I agree with you, Robbie, that we've got to come up with a better system to actually get accurate data. The states have to work a little bit better together so that you can pull that data so that not only that you can, you can your legislation can be directed in the right direction, but also the money that's provided can be pushed in the right direction, whether it's anglers, waterfowl hunters, or, you know, whether it's big game hunters, 
or there's a specific species that people are going after that you need to really work for. But I think that Cody hit the nail on the head, at least for something that I think about is less hunters is directly going to affect the legislation and the ability for us to, de to defend our lands and our ability to hunt out there. That's, that's just going to happen, right? If we, the, the, the more people that don't go to the outdoors, whether it's to hunt and fish or just to go to the outdoors, the legislation in our government is going to affect our ability to do that. Now, the problem that we see, and I think that Blood Origins is a great vehicle for this, and there's several other, you know, great, great movements out there now, is, is hunters have, have to stop sitting on their couch and waiting for hunting season before they get involved. There's, there's, there has to be a 365-day effort on the hunters, the fishermen, you know, the waterfowlers. They all have to get involved 365 days. Otherwise, when you do go hunting and things aren't the way you want them to be, you can't be pissed off about it. So, you know, we need to have the right number of hunters. Like Cody says, you know, what is right? We have to have the right number of hunters based on the species, right? Whatever they're hunting for. And that's all managed at the state level, like we know. But I mean, at the end of the day, I, you know, is R3 the, the right method to get things going? You know, I don't know. But um, I definitely think we need to recruit more people that learn the right way to go into the outdoors and, and be stewards of the environment and the species that are out there. That's the key, right? You can't just, you can't just recruit a bunch of hunters, throw some orange on them and send them out into the woods and expect them to actually benefit those of us that really do hunt and it's, and it's a way of life for us. So, it, you know, it's all about the education and how you get them out there. But yeah, I don't know. I'd rather see more hunters out there because then I know that at least hopefully we're getting a little bit more push at the legislation level to, mm -hmm. to try and protect what we, what we all love. Mm -hmm. Cody, do you think that, you know, we really skirted around the question of why, why did they put the article out? And uh, was it to spur this kind of conversation? Was it so altruistic that they, and so nuanced that they knew it was going to stir up a bunch of discussion, a bunch of controversy. And if you had to, if you had to push him, if we had Matt Ranella sitting next to Daryl Carver, would he say, we did it just to get people talking? I hate assumptions. I'm, I'm on about a five-year quest to eliminate assumptions from my life. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I, I have absolutely no idea. I, you know, it, it could have just been Steve got famous and Matt was the brother that wouldn't shut up about wanting to talk about this. And Steve's like, all right, whatever. We're big enough. You can't sink us. Write the op-ed. I'll publish it. I, I, I don't, or it could have very well been a deeply thought out process of let's start this conversation. You know, I can imagine when you're when you're in hunting camp as much as as Stephen Rinella is um, that, you know, it, it, it's a it's probably a multiple multiple episodes of this being a campfire discussion, right? Like, damn, there's and plus they live in Bozeman, right? So they're overrun with it. They're they're overrun with it. The seventh fastest growing micro metropolis in the united states is bozeman montana right um 
they're 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 overrun with or steve is i don't know where matt lives um but it's uh you know it's probably a discussion that they have over drinks at a campfire with no microphones running like damn there's this there's so many people in the woods now um so i don't know what it is i i, I think in the big scheme of things when the dust settles it'll probably be good it probably was a good way to make a conversation happen um but the 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 dust hasn't settled yet um, i literally as we're sitting here right now someone just texted me that steven Rinella responded what? to matt to his brother's article um so i i had to make a snap decision on whether or not to bring that up but i it just popped up on my phone of did you see steven Rinella's response to his brother um so that remains to be seen I think there's been some phenomenal conversation that came out of it, very much trying to silver lining it. I'm not a big fan of let's write some crazy shit to get, to get clicks. Um, I don't think they're those guys. I don't think the meat eater guys are just straight clickbait guys. Um, I don't, so I, I, I don't know what their reasoning was, but it was definitely a shocker. And then some of the responses you know, some of the responses were just as detrimental to us as to our to our culture as as anything else. But um, I thought outdoor outdoor life's response was very well put together. Um, and there's some others. I don't know. I'll I don't know what all you want to get into here, Robbie. But uh, the conversation is happening. People are talking about it. Um, and I hope that in a month as the dust settles and everybody comes back together, that it was good that we had a conversation about it. Cause it was a, it was a ballsy move. That's for sure. I'm trying to read this, this piece that he put out. We'll have to probably discuss it next week. I think, yeah, I think I'd, broadly, he's just going to say that, you know, we're allowed to agree and disagree. And he had a, an opinion that was counter to a lot of people's uh opinions and uh that's not wrong but that's not shared by everyone at meat eater probably uh but thanks for derailing us here Cody. i know i could I but that shows resist. how current we are that shows how current we are just literally dropped exactly just 10 minutes ago cutting edge we are cutting edge <laughs> welcome to the cutting I mean, edge I'll, podcast I, I, carver I'll, I'll throw this out i mean I'm not necessarily saying I, 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 I agree with Marinella in any way, shape, or form, but I do like the fact that, that they had the balls to put out something that is, that is and is creating such a buzz of topic discussion, right? And, and you know, and, and, and the, the thing is, is I think what you're going to see is some byproducts of the conversation is, is, okay, so if R3 isn't, you know, the right thing is there an alternative and what does that look like or can we be better at what we're doing with in, you know in regards to how we're we're pushing our efforts towards r3 right so instead of the status quo of continuing to do the same thing over and over again having a discussion that generates some people to get off their couch and start you know having a conversation about this you know maybe it'll come out 
you know, that, that some, some pretty decent discussions and some avenues that, that will benefit both sides will actually come out of this. I do agree with you, though. It's, after I read it, I was like, wow, this is, this is you know, that's pretty ballsy, especially coming from a platform like Meat Eater that you can get a lot of counter um, discussions going. But I, I like the fact that they, that they had the balls to throw it out there and, and, and you know, like Steve said in, in his counter to it, you know, they have the right to agree and disagree. And I, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think we do that at Blood Origins. You know, we aren't afraid to call things out or see things the way that they, you know, ought to be seen and, and say the things that, they, that, that ought to be said. Um, for instance, the podcast that happened on the predator killing contest, right? We had John Bear's position from a hunter's perspective on what he believes coyote killing contests have a place and why they have a place and but he was also very much of the opinion that imagery matters and anything that shows disrespect to wildlife is, has no part in the hunting culture, regardless of whether it's a pro, you know, coyote killing contest or, or anything else. And then we had the filmmaker, who is a very passionate, energetic individual, uh, explained very scientifically, had a very sound justification for why he believes you should never have a predator killing contest. And I think, you know, we're going to get a lot of flack for it. Uh, and I'm ready for it because at the end of the podcast, I said, I probably pissed off a couple of hunters in this podcast. And I know you pissed off a couple of anti-hunters. And so it was finding that middle ground of, look, there's things that, you know, we're, we're hunters are not on a, a pedestal and we do no wrong. Uh, and we have to address that. All right, final thoughts on Ronella, Cody, before we move on. Uh, we'll see. I just, I, pulled, I just pulled up while you guys were chatting and scanned his response. And, and uh, you know, um, he, he started out exactly like you said. We should all be able to agree and disagree. Um, the last half of it is the uh, politically correct backlash of him dealing with it, which I can't stand. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we should probably dive too deeply into that side of it but there was there was uh other groups that were specific groups that were upset by matt's column um it looks to me I, I would go out on a limb right now and say that someone told steve he had to reply and apologize because of who was upset by it um we'll see it's a good discussion to be having um you know they talk a little bit about you put more hunters on a piece of ground, there's more human inherent destruction that happens to that piece of ground. That's a, that's a real thing. Um, I do know that there's literally millions of untouched acres in the lower 48 every year, so go somewhere else. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's good that the, the conversation is happening, hopefully. Something, hopefully something constructive comes out of it. Well, let's, uh, let's turn to my favorite topic. It's been my favorite topic for probably the last eight months, nine months. California. Don't get, don't get Daryl is an avid resident and defender of California, so you don't want to get too touchy here with our guest. That's why we have him on. He flies the Californian flag gonna, loud and proud. I'm gonna leave All right. he, has the, he has the California flag tattooed across his back. 
<laughs> That's what you're going to say? Yep. Yep. I, I got nothing on that one. I can't really defend myself. I do live here in California. So, so the article was published in The Guardian that read, California relocates mountain lions making a meal of endangered sheep. Uh, desert bighorns in the state of California are probably the ultimate thing to hunt in California. Probably the most expensive thing to hunt. It's, I don't know, tule elk is, is pretty expensive, but I reckon bighorn in California is probably more expensive than a tule elk. Um, and yeah, they've got a bunch of mountain lions that have decided to snack on these these sheep and the Department of Game and Fish realized that the sheep are very, very valuable to the state because of the money that is brought in through the tag system, through hunters. And so, in, in, unfortunately, California, you are not allowed to hunt or trap mountain lions. And so, cat. Yeah, a cat. And the, also, go ahead. Also, the state, the biologists from the state have to make an attempt Correct. at non-lethal before they can even decide that lethal is the approach. That so what, needs what to be at. So let, let's just stop the conversation for a second and just talk logistics. Daryl, what do you think is more expensive? Non-lethal capture and movement or lethal management? Uh, lethal. More expensive? More lethal? expensive? More expensive. Uh, Non-lethal, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, it's way easier and much more cost-effective to manage the population of the predator than to relocate them to another location. Way so it's actually, it's actually profitable. And profitable, to of manage, course, right. So, so, so if the California Department of Fish and Game is talking them. about this endangered species or, you know, the, the fact that the sheep are being killed by a mountain lion and that it brings in a profitable, you know, monetary amount to California. But their counter to that is to relocate lions that they're not utilizing, you know, the fact that they could have a hunting season for mountain lions. It just seems silly. So not only is it non-profitable because you can't hunt mountain lions, it's obviously a, a, a burden on taxpayers to lethally remove mountain lions. And based on some data, it shows that more mountain lions are taken lethally in the state of California than uh, used to be hunted under quota in the state of California. And now with this article, it costs more to non-lethally translocate mountain, mountain lions. So what they're doing is they are trapping these mountain lions and then taking them somewhere else. And a couple of these mountain lions come back to the same place. <laughs> Not only are they trapping them, relocating them, they're GPS collaring them. Someone's getting paid to monitor that to make sure that they don't go back to the sheep and start eating them again. Some of them actually have gone back to the sheep. So now we've trapped the same mountain lion twice. And here's, okay, here's, here's my soapbox, right? This is the ultimate example for those people that say, if we just leave them alone, nature will balance itself out. If we leave them alone, 
amazingly enough, this is a weird thing that I didn't really know until a few years ago and a lot of people don't know. Bighorn sheep are simultaneously some of the toughest creatures in the world. They're also ridiculously fragile in their population management, right? And I mean, like domestic sheep will just wipe out bighorn sheep with disease. This one five-year-old male mountain lion in the article that they've only been tracking for like 18 months, they know that it killed and ate nine sheep. Nine doesn't sound like a huge number till you realize that's one lion and there's only 600 in the whole state. Meanwhile, that 600 is a gigantic conservation victory because it's three times what there was when they started managing them. If we were to leave these animals alone, as people claim, because we're going to leave the mountain lions alone, if we now completely leave them alone, they're going to wipe out the sheep very, very, very quickly. Very quickly. There will be no population of sheep left. To me, it's the perfect example of where human predator management, even in California, the management is required. We've just chosen to intense have an incredible, in true California style, we've been chosen to make it an incredible tax burden to do this when, in fact, you could actually generate conservation dollars if you just chose to do it another way. It's not that they won't kill them, because even though they, even though they can't be hunted, the state is killing more than hunters killed before in nuisance sense. It's the dumbest thing on the docket. It's dumb. It's just ridiculous and asinine and backwards that it, 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 it makes no sense. It's doing none of the animals any good. People are going to say, well, it's doing the mountain lions good. You're not hunting them. Nope. We're still killing more mountain lions because there's more nuisance. There's more human mountain lion conflict. More of them are being euthanized. Also, it's costing, it's, it's got to be millions, right? It, it's got to be, it, it's a lot of money. I don't know what the number is, but it's a lot of money in tax dollars as opposed to them being managed and generating revenue. I don't understand. I, my favorite part of the, of the article is, is that, you know, towards the end of the article where they're you know, the retired scientist, I won't say his name, is, is blaming the disappearance of grizzlies and wolves as to the reason why the lion population has increased, right? So the first thing that California does is blame somebody else, right? This is the reason why the problem is. But then he even admits that they're going to have to actually manage the lion. So now here's, your, here's the conundrum they talk about in the article. Do you, do you spend a ton of taxpayer money killing the lions or do you earn money and manage them the proper way and still you know are you going to save the bighorn sheep like you said it's an extremely it's like the lahontan trout right they keep reintroducing the lahontan trout over and over and over again but it is such a fragile fish that it just dies off every single time but you know they keep dumping money into this thing to try and you know to, to generate the put the trout back in its native waters but it's just it's fragile right so it blows me away that that in the article that just like you said, let's, let's blame everybody else as to why we have a problem. Let's tax the, 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 you know, the people in California a little bit more, which I have a real big problem with that because obviously I live here. But then at the end of the day, admit that they still need to manage the lion. 
it just blows me away that the stupidity of, of, of how they run the, well, how they run the entire state here. Oh, the article ends. off my soapbox. The article ends if we are interested in keeping the Sierra Bighorn sheep around. And they've been here a very long time. We are probably going to have to manage life. Genius. <laughs> That's genius. That's someone that spent probably the exact same amount of time in a university as you did, Robbie. That, that person is probably a doctor. Uh, yeah, I think so. But let's not be, you know, we, we, we're focused here in Blood Origins about changing perceptions and you're starting to, you know, <laughs> lump people into broad generalizations. Right. Thank you very much. Right. All right, let's do so one more. Personal attack. Let's do one more. Um, you know, I like the top one, uh, sugarcane leopards. It's got nothing to do with hunting, but it actually has something to do with hunting. Um, if you haven't listened to the podcast that we did with, we, we called the podcast title The Indian Tiger King uh, with our friend Rajiv out of India. You will not know, if you're not in the know, that India is the hotbed for human wildlife conflict in the world. India is, has more human wildlife conflict than the rural places in Africa. And the reason being is that India, you know, Cody, you have probably told me in the past, Robbie, have you ever seen a tiger and a bear in Africa? And I've probably told you, Cody, there are no tigers and bears in Africa. Lions and tigers and bears, oh my. Exactly. And where, I've always wondered, like, where does that adage come from? It freaking comes from India. <laughs> they have Close. leopards. They have lions. They have tigers. They have bears. They have wolves. They have everything. They have elephants. They have guar, those huge buffalo that are, look like they're on freaking steroids, right? I saw a video today of a guar walking down a, an urban street. And the reason that that guar was walking down the urban street, according to these guys, was that the forest elephant population has skyrocketed. There's no more food left on the ground. And these huge cattle-like testosterone-driven things are now just walking around the city center. Anyway, Hold they on. have leopards. I, Go ahead. Can I read my three favorite sentences from the sugarcane leopards article? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I had to go find it because I want to read it verbatim. Forest, so they're talking about they've got to relocate these 100-plus leopards that are living in the sugarcane fields. Forest officials, we're going into Quoteville. Forest officials aren't sure how the relocation of so many big cats will happen. They have been telling... <laughs> this is the town of California, India. They have been telling farmers that the leopards are their friends. They prey on dogs, cats, stray cattle, nilgai, rabbits. Many of these destroy the farmers' crops, so the leopards helped harmer, help the farmers, Divisional Forest Officer M. Semarin said. Farmers do not deny that. It is true that the big cats wipe out some of the animals that destroy our crops, Shorveer, who was one of the farmers being interviewed, said. But it's not worth the risk. They have started attacking us and killing us. But they're your friend. That's my favorite part of the whole thing. The forest we fish. This is very much like a scene out of California, in my opinion. Hey, they're eating the nil guy that are eating your crops. 
yeah, they're eating your family too, but can't we find a silver lining in this? I, 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 that's my favorite part of the entire article. Alva, did you read it at all? I did. I read the article. And at first I thought it was, I thought, I honestly thought it was, I thought it might've been a little bit of satire just at first until I read the, the snow leopard one. And then I was like, okay, now this is, this is, this is satire. Let me go back to the, to the leopard, you know, article, but um, yeah, it absolutely seems like the, the director of the Indian wildlife for the Jaguars over there or the leopards is um, probably somebody who retired from the California, uh, you know, wildlife <laughs> agency, to be honest. Well, it's so and, and interesting. That's kind of crazy, but. Go ahead, Cody. No, no, I was just saying they're a Californian expatriate is the way that it seems. I, I don't, I don't know how. I think there's also, we've talked about this before, Robbie, that I, I read a book one time by Valerius Geist, um, who, in my opinion, which means absolutely nothing in this category, is one of the premier scientists in the wolf world. Um, and went from a very much a pro-wolf guy to a, okay, we've got to manage the wolf's guy. And he talks about habitualization. Um, and when you look at, you look at, uh, there's a great statistic out of British Columbia with the grizzly bears, that, that an increase of 70% in human grizzly bear conflict since they stopped hunting grizzly bears. You look at the mountain lion in California, the human mountain lion conflict and now the sheep mountain lion conflict has exploded since they stopped hunting them. I don't think that we as Americans understand that India is actually the ultimate example in the world of this. Um, and the big thing about India is they got a whole bunch of things that will eat you or trample you when they quit fearing humans as a predator. Um, I, don't, I, I think people think that we're making an argument here that all hundred of these leopards have to be killed by hunters to save the sugarcane farmers. It's not the argument. If, if, if the leopards start to recognize humans again as a predator, they will change their geography. It's, it's just a natural fact. Um, if you don't believe me, at least in terms of wolves, read Valerius Geist's book, The Seven Steps of Dehabitualization of Wolves, and you will understand that it doesn't mean that all these wolves or all these mountain lions in California or all these bears and that's the way we approached it a hundred years ago, right? Was we had this conflict, so kill them all. We've grown since then. We've, we've evolved since then. And we understand that's not the case. But we do still need with these apex predators, or in, in the case of elephants in India, just what that's just an apex animal, right? They're not, mm -hmm. I mean, you wouldn't classify them as a predator. They just aren't scared of anybody. Mm -hmm. um, that if we create a sense of danger from human beings, that they will, in fact, change their habits. Um, it's not 100%. There, there's, no, there's no perfect solution to it, but it's a great way to do that. It's a revenue-generating way to do that. Um, it's a meat-generating way to do that. It's the best possible solution. I think that 
that we, I, I, don't, I, don't, I can only speak for Americans. I don't think we understand that India necessarily is the ultimate example of this. Zero legalized hunting in India, correct? Zero hunting in India. Yeah, and, and also the world mecca for human wildlife conflict. It's not a coincidence. They have no fear of human beings. Father? Well, I, um, again, I, I, had to, I had to cram for this, this test, but um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the article, there was, a, uh, there was a significant increase of new families that moved into this 50,000 hectares of, of land, correct? Like, wasn't there a, a significant increase? I don't know the time frame. Well, that Indians' that, human that population is just burgeoning, right? India's human population is just going through the roof. And so is their wildlife right. populations going through the roof. So naturally, there's going to be an erupt. That, that conflict, yeah. But, you know, I, I guess my, my, my simple point on this, I, I definitely don't have the data on, on, uh, on information like Cody can pull. But, um, you know, clearly when you, have, when you have a decrease in land that the animals typically populate, you have an increase in people that you know live, move onto that into that land obviously that conflict is going to get that conflict is going to get much more uh critical right instead of a leopard walking through your your yard the leopard's snatching your kid up and running off you know running off so you know i i i i do think that india is a perfect example of there has to be a better way right whether it's population control or some sort of legalized hunting, especially when it comes to those apex predators, or even like Cody said, the apex animals, that the conflict and the, the fact that the population and the animal population is, is crossing lines to the point where people are losing their lives. Not only human people, but you're, you're losing the lives of those animals when they do have to put those, you know, those creatures down. Um, I, there's, I do think that after reading that article and, and some of the other ones about India, there's, they are, they are in a situation that we couldn't even fathom what it would be like. And California is a perfect example, right? You could overlay that same piece on, on the mountain lion, you know, uh, dilemma that we were just talking about a few minutes ago, right? It's the same kind of thing. There, you can't do nothing. That's not the, that's not the right, right solution, especially when you're dealing with animals that can take a life or as we talked about with the with the, the bighorn sheep when you when when an animal can can decimate a species that that couldn't you know invariably remove it from the entire you know list of of uh, of, li of livestock out there or, or animals out there so yeah it's a it's a difficult situation by all means um yeah india you know i get dead in the last two yeah that uh, article actually is very low in terms of the number of human death. Like the, I get sent a lot of information out of India and the amount of deaths that are happening via leopards and tigers. And the guy that we talked to, Rajiv, even mentioned about these sugarcane leopards, that they just sit in the sugarcane because of all the prey base that's in there. And then when the farmers go in to take you know, the sugarcane out, they obviously are an easy prey base uh, additionally. But yeah, the amount of tigers, you know, the my assumption was, you know, if you go to India, if we, we all decide we're going to go to India, we want to see a tiger, it's going to be, we're going to be lucky if we see a tiger. His response to me was, you'll be unlucky to see two. If there's, yeah. there's the, the perception of like what we have of what India's wildlife is, you know, it's, it's, 
it's rare and you can't find it. It's they're everywhere, man. I've seen videos of black panthers pulling dogs out of urban streets. I've seen videos of elephants on train tracks in an in a city center. It's crazy. And you hunting see. is not just it's not, it's not that we want hunting to solve the problem. It's just an additional tool. That's what we're saying. It's an additional tool, right. as we all know, to being able to mitigate this human wildlife conflict. Go ahead, Cody. Along, along with helmets. As you see in the final paragraph that the Forestry Service recommends that the farmers wear helmets. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say helmets. So I'll finish this article with, with this little story. If you ask one of the old school, and I don't know if they still train it this way in Kruger National Park in South Africa, but if you ask one of the old school Mapoises, the police boys that uh, are the, the scouts that are patrolling the different sections and the, the, the game rangers, when they were taught, if you got attacked by a leopard, because if you're walking through riverine you know, areas in Kruger, you just never know when you're going to come up on a leopard. And that leopard will stay still. You walk right past him. You never know what's going to happen. And they're taught if a leopard pounces on you, you have to throw your hands up like this and you put your fists underneath your chin and you put your elbows close to it because that leopard's going to try and go for your neck and he's going to raise up his back legs and he's going to rake if he gets on the front of you. And that's what these guys do when I, you know, I, I, you know, can't remember the story, but I think one guy got hit by a leopard, a little young male, and he got hit by the, on his back, and the, and the leopard was just literally playing with him. And the dude just dropped and was like, straight like that. So, <laughs> did he have a helmet on? He did not have a helmet on. I'm telling you right now that I, in principle, avoid conflict. I don't like confrontation. But if there was a hundred leopards in my sugarcane field, and someone told me I should put a helmet on, we would fight. <laughs> there would be a fight. I might lose. I'm not a great fighter, but we would fight if they said, your answer is to put this helmet on. I would say, no, my answer is to scare the leopards off. And possibly, hey, yeah, anyway, helmets. It was a, a I, I love the read. Um, those were my two favorite things. Yes, they are eating some of the pests that eat our crops, but they're also eating us. So we don't consider them as friends. And no, we don't see helmets as the solution. Hilarious. Well, uh, I think we've, we've, we've covered enough today. Carver, any uh, final words on your trial by fire? You did very well, my friend. I was very, very impressed with the amount of information that you absorbed uh, as a pinch hitter. No, I, I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get on here and listen to you two uh, intellectuals wax philosophical and talk about important stuff. There's only one intellectual on this podcast, Carver. <laughs> I know, and I'm about to get off. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll certainly need to have you back on. That was, uh, that was certainly enlightening. I really enjoyed your perspective. Uh, Cody, any final words? No. Oh, uh, yeah. Quick shout out. Uh, uh, Hunters for the Hungry um, is still cranking along. Um, we'll, we'll shout out. Team, team 0321 is Daryl's yeah. team. 
So go ahead. If you don't have get on there, Team Oh Three Twenty One. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't have a team to, uh, if you don't have a team to donate to, select that option. Um, and uh, yeah, no, you know, we got a couple more weeks on that. We got a we did phenomenal start um, to that. We're approaching twenty one thousand dollars raised. Um, in the campaign, but we still got a ways to go to get us the 35,000 number. So shout out to that to uh, go, go to bloodorigins.com, click on the menu, click on projects, Hunters for the Hungry, and uh, help us out if you can. Yeah, absolutely. And Daryl Carver has stepped up and he's got a team. So please support him. There are other teams that you can support. You can individually donate as well. Um, and yeah, that's our big mission for April is to get that fully funded. We're not going to focus on anything else, but focusing on Hunters for the Hungry and moving that ball to the end. And big shout out to Stone Glacier again for setting up the matching funds, $10,000 uh, that really set us on a, a really rocket trajectory to start with. Absolutely. All right, Carver. Thank you, brother. All right. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.